with me to 1 John 3 as we continue our study. John tells us back in 1 John chapter 2 that this is the last hour. And he says, you know how it's that we know that? Because there are antichrists everywhere. Um, the last hour, John points to the individual that Daniel writes about, Paul talks about, and John writes about in Revelation. But he says the last hour will be recognizable by antichrist throughout the world and throughout the church. And we are certainly living in those last days that John is writing about. Such a practical book. Um, things that we can know, things that we can be sure of, things that we can um, put to rest knowing that we will be in heaven forever so that we can serve him effectively now. John explains to us how joy, how peace, and how strength can be ours, the things that we want. Um, and he gives us the practical step-by-step -step how to walk and step into those things. I was just thinking of Naaman, the, um, the man who came down from Assyria and he was going to be cleansed of leprosy and he finally meets Elisha and Elisha says, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And he walks away, ah, I don't want to do that. He is, his body is covered with a disease that will completely destroy his body eventually. And his servant says to him, Naaman, if he would have asked you to do some great thing so that you could be free from leprosy, you'd have done anything. Go dip yourself in the river. And so he comes up out of the river the seventh time and he is pure. And he goes back to Elisha and says, can I take some dirt from this place that disgusted me earlier back to my kingdom so that I can put it on the ground in front of the false gods so that I can worship the God of Elisha instead of the God of Aram. Um, John is very much like that. Um, he, he, meaning God, wants us to have joy that is complete, that is full. He wants us to have peace that the world does not understand. He wants us to have strength in circumstances that the world cannot understand. And he tells us how to step into those things. Question, are we willing to do the things John gives us as directives? Or will we be initially like Naaman that I want all those things, but I don't know if I want the path to get them. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we look into this I Know book written by the Apostle John, um, Doubt, undoubtedly the human being other than his mother that knew Christ better than anyone and now is explaining to us, giving us directives from his Lord that we can live productive, fruitful, and victorious lives. Help us to accept what he gives us today. Help us to apply it to our lives so that we can be sanctified, that we can be changed and that we might lead someone else to follow him in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 John chapter 3, we begin in um, verse 11 where we left off. John says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So that's, as I've been saying in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, that's the pinnacle. That's the, the goal that's visible on earth. The goal that is not visible is to fix our eyes on what is unseen because what we see is temporary and what is unseen is eternal and it is for him and not for this that we do what we do. What we can see, what is visible on earth, which John explained in the first 10 verses, you can know as an individual that you are his if you do what he commands you to do. You can know that what John is telling you to do is true Oida, because the book of truth is what is speaking to you. And you can feneros, you can know who is saved around you. It's outwardly, experientially visible. So John gives us three ways of knowing in the first ten verses. I can know personally by doing what he says. That God will unveil to me that I am his by the 
practical step-by-step of following Christ. I can know that these instructions are legitimate because they come from the Word of God. John would, throughout the Gospel of John, he would pause at times and say, this is trustworthy, it's true. The one who tells you is not lying, and the one who told him is Christ. And that's how the book of Revelation begins. And then he says, you can tell on others who is saved by their following Christ. The Greek word phenaros. So he says here that the goal of all of it is, verse 11, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. So he's going back to the night in the upper room, John 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new command now. I'm about to leave. In less than two months, the church will be inaugurated and the Holy Spirit will come to earth. And as you move forward, there's a command that has never been given before, love one another. Because 4,150 years after Adam is the first time that a people group of believers is gathered. 4,150 years of love your neighbor as yourself, honor God with your life, to now the new command is love one another. So when John says from the beginning, he's talking about the beginning of the church. And the church's mantra is love one another. How can you know you're going to heaven? Earlier in this chapter, by loving one another. How can you tell if someone else is going to heaven? They love one another. And he's going to explain that love in the verses that we look at today. So first of all, the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another, agapao, take agape and share it with others. Verse 12, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So he has taken us back over 4,000 years to the first family. And he's saying that the reason that murder happened is because it detested and it offended Cain that Abel did exactly what God wanted him to do. Cain had decided to respond to God in his own terms. There's a word for that today. It's called religion. And Cain decided, I will honor God this way. And you see the verse in your notes there when Christ spoke to Cain in verse four or 7 of chapter 4 of Genesis. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So I have kind of a clumsy statement. I was going to, Justine's my proofreader, I was going to change it. But anyway, the way that I put it in there in notes, following Christ has always been doing right. It is that simple. John is explaining that 4,150 years later, and then more years, about 4,200 years, that doing right, Christ follower, doing wrong, devil follower. It was that way in the beginning. So John is writing in the last days, and in fact, he's writing forward to 2023, and he's taking us back to creation. And he is saying that doing right is following God. Doing wrong is following Satan. We are all born, including Cain, because he's Adam's son, with our propensity to do wrong. Wrong in Paul's definition is self-seeking. It takes no training for a human being to be self-seeking. If we are self-seeking, we're a child of the devil. If we are doing right, which goes against what we want to do for ourselves, then we are Christ followers. You see in your notes there about 600 BC when Habakkuk, as Judah was falling, wrote, as God spoke to him, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Eternal life with Cain, with Abel, with Habakkuk, with Jim, is doing right in the eyes of God. So we have what is right written down. That's oida, 
I know this is true. This is a true book, a truth book. And Paul and John continually talk about the truth, and John will do it in this chapter today. And we know that if we apply it, we experientially know that we are God's, and we know that it is as simple as doing right. Um, chapter 2 and verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right is born of him. So he is saying the same thing in chapter 3 that he said in chapter 2, that people who do right, according to this book, are people who are God's and God is their God. Um, reading on verse 13, John writes, actually let me read verse 12 with verse 13 because he's segueing from the murder that Cain committed to what Christ calls murder. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So he's segueing immediately. Um, you have a verse there in your notes that is spoken forward into the church age. So he's speaking on the Sermon of the Mount, but he is, he is speaking about um, murder pointing forward to the church pointing to the law being fulfilled at the cross. So he's talking about murder to people on the Sermon of the Mount, but when he takes it into the church, there in your notes, Matthew 5, 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court and anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. That's strong language. That's what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 13. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. So in Matthew, he uses two Greek words, one for angry and one for what we see there is raka, which actually is an Aramaic word. But for angry there, the Greek word is orgizo, to feel and express strong displeasure. Jesus is saying that, yes, murder is a capital offense. Yes, if you commit murder and you go on trial, Christian or non-Christian, capital punishment is taught in the Bible. But he says, let me take that further to the church going forward. If you are angry, and the Greek word orgizo means that I have an extreme displeasure towards you, I am not willing to reconcile with you, I am removed from you, Jesus says you are in danger of judgment. So we know that no one loses their salvation. Let's start there. But in 1 John chapter 2, John says people will be moving away from the church in the last days. And in 1 John 2, he says that their moving proves that they were never really with us. So we're not God. We don't know and understand all that is being said there. But what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is, if you have an extreme displeasure towards someone who is, in the verse, a brother or sister, 1 John 3.13, you are in danger of judgment. And then he says, anyone who says to a brother or sister in Christ or thinks of a brother or sister in Christ as raka, which is raki, comes from the Aramaic language, is empty-headed, foolish. You're not clear. You're empty-headed. What you say, I don't agree with, I don't accept. If you think of a brother on those terms, there's an opportunity to reconcile. If you continually think of a brother that way, Jesus finishes the verse by saying, you're in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, I'm in this position. I'm going to stay in this position. 1 John 3, 6 would say, then you've neither seen him or known him. So 
John is giving us strong language and starting out in the first verse today that this is our, this is our command, this is our all-encompassing command that we've heard from the beginning, from the night Jesus was in the upper room, love one another. Hate one another, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So he is using strong language to help us to understand I was thinking about it this way as I was looking at this this week. Not by my determination, but by his. If I am where he wants me to be, always, I will be judged by many people. If I am where he wants me to be, the world will always judge me. The world will always say, you're choosing this over things that everybody else accepts that you should choose instead of that. We are taken back when the world, when our extended families, when the people around us rebuke us for making a choice that we understand God wanting us to make. John says, don't be surprised at that. That is normal. If, if a person follows God next to a person who follows God partially, the person who follows God partially will not be very happy with you. Will not say amen to your life. In fact, they will hate you, Jesus says. Um, turn to John chapter 15 where Jesus on the same night is talking about this. John chapter 15, we'll pick it up in verse 18. John 15, verse 18, John tells us in 1 John, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Where did he learn that? The same place he learned that our command is love one another on the night Jesus was betrayed. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first, Jesus says. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So Jesus, later that night in John chapter 17, prays for you and I that we will believe through the message of the apostles. When John the apostle or Paul the apostle writes, they will say things like, in Thessalonica, I am so pleased that when you received this word that came through me, Paul says, you received it as though it didn't come from a human being, it came from God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, they will persecute me and they will then persecute you. But those who would follow me will follow you. Those who believed my message and accepted it from a wide variety of people will do the same. So Jesus is saying the same thing John is saying. John is really just repeating Jesus. It's, it shouldn't surprise you that the world hates you. In fact, there is a problem in the church that the world doesn't hate professing Christ followers. And Jesus and John explain why that is. Because we're part of the world. So Paul would write to Corinth and say, I'm addressing you as worldly in Corinth because that's what you are. You're a worldly group of professing Christ followers. And Jesus says that if you're in the world and in the church, accept it. If you're in the church as a called out one, which is what church means, the world will hate you. The world will judge you. So we live in a country where tolerance means this. 
those who have ideas that only satisfy their own lust will say there needs to be tolerance. And if I say to that person, I will tolerate you, will you tolerate me? They will say no. Why not? If their answer, because we hate you. <laughs> Why do you hate me? Well, didn't you read your own book? Jesus said, if you're not of the world, the world will not accept you. It will not happen that way. Back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Interesting use of language here because John says, we oida, that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. So he is building on the word of God. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we have something even more reliable than the transfiguration, and that is the word of God. So John is pointing to the word of God. We know that it's true. We know that we have done what we've asked him to do. Therefore, we know that we've passed from death to life. So we don't know that we passed from death to life because we felt something. That was always a question growing up. The people would say, man, I felt this bolt of lightning. I felt this lifting of the spirit. I felt this glowing. And God is capable of doing anything. But John simply says, we followed his plan. So we know. We know that it's true. The word of God, Peter would say, is more powerful than any bolt of lightning. So Peter would say, we saw Jesus at the transfiguration. We saw Moses. We saw Elijah. We heard from God the Father, and the Holy Spirit was there with us, and the Bible is more reliable. So that's what John is saying in verse 14, that we know it's true. Anyone who does not love, let's read the whole verse, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love, there's agapao, remains in death. Anyone who receives the love of God shares the love of God. It is sharing the love of God that gives me experiential knowledge. When I sacrifice myself for someone else, I begin to understand what the love of Christ is like. I begin to experience something that is humanly impossible. It is impossible for a human being to love someone the way Christ loves someone, but it is possible for the love of Christ to go through that human being to another person. In fact, that's his design. His design is that love from the Father comes through a human being to another person. That's how he grows. That's how it spreads. So we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, as though God were reaching out to the world through us. Agapal. And if that is received genuinely in the church or outside of the church, it is recognized as godly. So John says the one who does not love remains in death. The person who doesn't lay down their lives for their brothers and sisters in Christ is lost, just like Cain was described. Verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Going back into Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So by this statement of what God calls murder, most murders are undetected to the world because most murders are one human being not loving another human being with God's love. God calls that murderer. He calls Satan the deceiver, the liar, and the murderer, and that he's been murdering from the beginning. So he calls Cain, John does here in this chapter, a child of the devil. We all were until we gave Christ our life, and John is helping us to understand that. So verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus gave us two words. He used orgizo, which is 
I feel strongly displeased about you. That doesn't sound like murder to us. But if that's a position I reside in, Jesus says I'm in danger of judgment. And then he says raka, which is empty-headed one or um, foolish one, as he says here. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Um, that position stayed in by a human being is a disclosure to a person who is not a God follower. Verse 16, we now get into the nuts and bolts of agape. What is that like? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's agape. So agape in a picture is Christ on the cross. It is literally from the position saying, I love you this much. It is literally saying, all that I have to give, I give for you. That's agape. That's impossible to originate in a human being. It can only come from God. God is love. So he is agape, and he demonstrates agapao by giving his life so that we can live. So that's agape and agapao. And John says, as we read the whole verse, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So as I said last week, you can go to many sites in Mendota, whether it's the Optimist Club or the JCs or, or maybe a, a business where everybody gets along, and you can see tolerance and friendship and things in common. John is saying the example that we go by is the standard of Jesus Christ. He emptied himself of everything for you. John says that's what we should do for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, me, us, we don't grasp the fullness of that when we decide where to be, how to invest, how extensive I should be involved. John is saying, what you're saying when you decide is how much of God's love I will share. Every time that I choose something that is for me, I have stepped out of agape. And he is willing to test us all. He is willing, and he will test you this week, he will test me this week. We will, we will find ourselves in positions, if not this week, in the week to come, where a choice is in front of me, where everyone will agree with either choice that I make, and God only has one. And if I choose that one, John says, don't be surprised if people are unhappy with you, if they even hate you, if they even say to you, how can you love, what they'll say is, how can you love church more than this? And the answer is, I love him more than this. And he commands me to love them more than this. And if I do, John says, the love of God is made complete in me. Joy, peace, strength that only comes from obedience comes to me. And I can't explain that to someone who hasn't experienced that, and they can't explain it to me if I don't experience that. So verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has, a material, has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity in, on them, how can the love of God be in that person? 
So he uses an example, the same example that James uses, and he says, let's suppose someone is hungry, and you say to that person, um, I pray that all goes well with you, I pray that your, your belly is filled in some way, and I now will move on. John says, how can the love of God be invested in that? If you have food and they need food, give them food. If you have time and they need time, give them time. If you have love and they need love, you give them love. It's very practical. So John is building to verse 18 here where he says, love is so practical. He says, dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, we can only do things for the truth. We can't do anything against the truth. When we get into 2nd and 3rd John, you'll see by the truth, by the truth, by the truth, by the truth. The truth is that I cannot love you if I'm not with you. And it's within my ability to be with you. I cannot pray for you effectively since I'm not there because love is more practical than that. John says, it is not words, it is not speech, it is certainly not emotions, it is certainly not feelings, it is what can I do to lay down my life for others in order to show the one who laid down his life for me that I get what agape is, that I get what agape turns into agapao, or there is no agape. God is love. He can do nothing but go to the cross because that's the demonstration of love. And he will say, not my will, not what I want, not what I seek, but Father, what you want and we both know needs to happen, I go to the cross. He wants us to be that way for each other. Think of how contagious that would be if every time you needed me, I was there. If every time I needed you, you were there. Imagine the power of God on earth in a group of people who would lay down their lives for each other. John is saying, that's agapao. That's what he's trying to get across. You see there in your notes, John 3.16, demonstration of love. Romans 5.8, demonstration of love. What we decide to do is what we will be judged for, not what we believe is true. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each person may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will be judged by what we do. John says to the person who needs food, it's not your prayer that will stem their hunger. It's your food. To the person who needs your encouragement, needs to be lifted up, you need to go there, you need to be there, you need to lift them. Because it's not about words and speech. I love that person, I care about that person, they're one of my favorite people in the whole world. But I'm, I'm choosing to be somewhere else today. That's not agapao. That's not what John is trying to get across to us. Verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So you take everything that he has said so far just today. This is the message. We love one another. This is what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. We lay down our life for others. And this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This is how we stand before the Lord with assigning him to the day, finishing the day, having obeyed him, laying down my lives for others so that he could say, well done, faithful servant. John says we have this peace that transcends understanding when we love people the way Christ loved us, the way he loves us us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates, plural, continuously, always, the cross, the cross, the cross. I died to show you how much I love you. He wants us to demonstrate to each other, and what that does is it brings the same power. 
Paul says in Ephesians 1, the same power that took the, the dead Christ and raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. Paul says, if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you plug into that power. The divine nature, Peter says, that we can participate in is ours. Um, so in 1 John 2, verse 3, we know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Verse 6, in 1 John chapter 2, um, anyone, John says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So if we do this, if we accept that, okay, I'm going to live as Jesus did, what did he did? do? He lived for people, others, all the time, continuously, until his last breath from the cross said, it is finished. Part of what is finished is that I just gave 33 years to everyone else. And I didn't live for myself. John is saying that's what we are required to do. Anyone who claims to be in Christ must love others that way. He's, this is how we put our hearts at rest. We don't put our hearts at rest by, by thoughts and looking back on things. We put our hearts at rest by Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. What I put in the fuel tank that is my soul, that is my heart, that is my mind, what I put in there is what will come out. So if I hide my word, his word in my heart, if I take 1 John 3 and hide it in my heart, then the command that I'm hiding in my heart so that I will not sin is to love one another. What is that like? Well, Christ died for our sins to demonstrate it, and he gave himself up completely at the cross, and he wants us to do the same thing. And if I do that, I will set my heart at rest before him. Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So this is the, the process John is talking about, taking captive every thought. Our hearts will do what to us? They will deceive us. Um, our guilt, things that we can step back into, things that we look in the mirror that we don't like to see. John says, I want you to know, if you love others as Christ loved you, whatever feelings disagree with that are a lie. And he knows because he knows everything. So you take captive that thought and you make it obedient to Christ. So how can you know? I'm doing what he told me to do. Yeah, but... Satan might say, yeah, but someone else might say, yeah, but he knows because he knows everything. And John says, you can have peace in that. You can take it home with you today by deciding that these things are for you. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive in him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Doesn't that sound too glorious to be true? I'll be honest, it sounds too glorious to be true. If I love others the way Christ loves me, I can ask him for anything. You say, well, you're going to ask him for a million dollars? If I'm loving others the way he loves me, that's not a question in my heart. But the questions that will arise, Romans 8.26, what does Paul mean the Holy Spirit is at work in our prayer life? Well, he's leading us to a place where anything we ask, God will give us. How does he lead us there? He, he leads us to live a sacrificial life for others in obedience to Christ. So we have peace before God. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It starts there. And it builds at that we know, John says, the way we know that that's true is we love one another. So he builds from there, and this is the confidence we have with God, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have what we've asked of him. 
following Christ leads me to a place where I ask what he already wants to do. He doesn't need information. He doesn't need for me to say, I've noticed that this would be a good thing for you to do. He needs me to move to a position where I can invite him to do what he already wants to do. And Jesus says twice in John 15, he will do anything you ask from that position. So when you look at some of the, the prayer lives of some of the people in Scripture, they weren't super prayers. They were God followers. They were people that lived their lives for others. Verse 23. And this is his command. This is a summary of the will of God in a human being's life to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. That's a Christ follower. That's every blessing in the heavenly realms. That's all that God has to give, given to a human being. That's an abundant life down here. That's joy that is complete down here. That's peace that is complete. That is strength and power whenever you need it. That's a position to communicate with God and bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So if Jesus tells us that's how we ought to pray, that's what God's going to move us to. We're going to pray kingdom prayers. We're going to pray church prayers. We're going to pray things that God would do right now if A, I was in a position to ask for them, and B, I would go to him and invite. That seems too incredible to believe. That's not a prosperity gospel. That's not me praying about me. That's praying that God would do something through me, that he would do something through us. I should pray for the church that way. I should pray for myself that way. Um, the two commands of God, and they are, according to Jesus in John 15, they are narrowed down into the second command, to believe in the name of his Son, and how to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, to love one another as he commanded us. John 15, 17, love each other. That's his command. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So all the way back to Cain and Abel, the one who keeps his command, eternal life. The one who rejects his command, sin wants to devour you. Judgment awaits you. He makes it clear to all of us. Um, turn to James chapter 2. You see in your notes there, verse 23 and 24, obedience to Christ leads us to love one another, which leads to eternal life. So Paul, in his encounter with Christ, gives us Acts chapter 26 and verse 20, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and, demonstra and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So Paul gives us the full picture. It is a simple response to the Lord saying, follow me, yes, Lord. That's the simplest understanding of what God is saying. He means follow me, and I mean I will. Repentance. His forever. I'm his brother. I'm his father's son. All of these things are mine. Paul just explains theologically what Christ just explained to him in Acts chapter 26. That we should repent and turn from our sins. We should turn to God and then we should demonstrate our repentance by our deeds. So repent and turn to God. Romans 10, 9. We must confess him as Lord and we must believe in 
his death, burial, and resurrection for our eternal life. And Paul says the proof of that is to demonstrate that you did repent, that he is your Lord, that you are going to live for him. So what he knows before the creation of the world is if my, I will follow you, is authentic. He knows that before the creation of the world. I know it when I do what he says. I know it when my reason for doing changed. So I can know it immediately if the reason I will live my life from now on is Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died that those who live would no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them. If that's the decision I make, I'm his. I'm going to do what he says. Affirmation. I'm going to do what he says. Affirmation. I'm going to learn to lay down my lives and make my decisions and love one another and honor one another above myself in my own church. Affirmation. I'm going to have the same attitude towards the people in my church, Philippians 2.5, as Christ Jesus had for my church. Affirmation. Our hearts are at rest before him. I'm exhausted today. I've given my day to you. Affirmation. In James, he explains to demonstrate their repentance by their deeds that Paul refers to in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. For this reason, he had, oops, I'm in Hebrews. James chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. So we've just heard from John. Let's not love with words thoughts. Let's, let's love with actions done in truth, because that's what agape is. How do you know that? Because verse 16, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. So faith comes from hearing the truth, from knowing that it's true. I'm not saved yet. I'm not his yet. My response to his follow me is, I will follow you. And Faith doesn't cause that, it doesn't force that, it gives that opportunity. Now I know what to do. Now I understand what is true. Verse 17, in the same way faith by itself, is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And interestingly, in that situation, he has known God for 43 years. And Christ says to Abraham, 43 years after he met him, that's why I chose you. That's why you are the father of many nations. That's why Jim McDowell will be in your line of faith because you laid down your son the same way my father laid down his son. That's, and James says, wasn't he considered righteous for doing that? Verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. I dare say that Abraham, 43 years later, couldn't have crossed that bridge because he learned to obey, he learned to obey, he grew, he got stronger, he got closer, and then one day he was asked to do the unthinkable, and Paul says by the time he was asked to do that, he reasoned in his mind that I know who he is, I know what he's capable of, and I know that he tells the truth, and he said that this is the one, so if he dies right here, he will give him right back. 
And Paul says, as a matter of fact, he did. That's exactly what God did. So you see, verse 22, that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. That's one more thing that happens when you walk closely with God. Jesus says, he or she is my friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a di different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 that Godly sorrow brings repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. What James is saying there is that if you're really sorry that you're a sinner, if you really want to be forgiven by God, you have a decision. And the decision isn't to say, God, please forgive me of my sin. The decision is to say, Christ, you are Lord of all, be my Lord and he will forgive your sins. Repentance is the only description of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus or any of the authors of scripture give us. John is giving us good news today. It may feel heavy. It may feel like more than you or I are up to, but the only people walking the earth that know that they will be in heaven one day are people that lay down their lives for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that is too tall of an order for us. But it doesn't exhaust any of your grace, your divine nature, your Holy Spirit power in us for us to say we will do it by your power. Help us, Lord, in this week, in this Christmas season, um, orchestrate opportunities where choices will arise that will help us to understand what it means to follow Christ as we love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.